welcome to the Destinate NZ Show. I'm Michelle Caldwell and today we're talking tourism icons. Welcome back listeners. Hope you're all keeping warm and having a great week out there. Well, I mentioned icons and when it comes to New Zealand tourism, there is none bigger than our resort town of Queenstown. Today, we're joined by the new chief executive of Destination Queenstown, Matt Woods. It's fair to say that Matt hasn't had the traditional career path through the industry to get to his current role, but I'm sure you'll find it's an interesting story and you'll enjoy hearing it in this episode. It's a great chat and we cover everything from the pressure of maintaining an iconic brand's position to workforce challenges to destination management plans. There has been a lot happen in the RTO world over the past two years, so it's great to hear a fresh perspective from somebody relatively new to that sector. Well, everyone, enjoy the episode and please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast if this is your first time here. And that way you will never miss another episode. And if you'd like to leave a five star review, I would really appreciate that. Means so much to me to have those reviews coming in. And don't forget, if there's somebody that you'd love to hear from on the show, you can always reach out to me with a suggestion. My email is michelle at destination nz.com and I will do my very best to get them onto the show and if that person is you don't be shy I try to make it as easy and relaxed as possible even if it's your first time on a podcast which for most of our guests it is so I'll be back next week with another exciting guest but for now sit back relax and enjoy the show with Matt Woods There is absolutely no doubt that Queenstown is the jewel in New Zealand's tourism crown. So when we think of the team charged with promoting the dream, it sounds like a pretty cruisy job, right? Well, today we're joined by the new Chief Executive of Destination Queenstown, Matt Woods, to enlighten us all into what goes into building and maintaining an iconic destination. Kia ora, Matt, and welcome to the show. Kia ora, Michelle. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Nice to have you here and congratulations on your new role. You made it sound so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say it's probably one of, I would say, the best jobs in the country in, ter- in the tourism industry. Yeah, look, it's a very iconic role, this one here at Destination Queenstown, and it's it's one of those ones that you feel very special to be to lead a team like Destination Queenstown. It is a phenomenal team. And with a phenomenal canvas to work with as well mm. in Queenstown. What a dream. Yeah, absolutely. Now, before we get into it, can you tell our listeners a little bit about you and your career to date and how you ended up at DQ? Yeah, look, I've probably come a very different way into tourism than many. And I was thinking about this earlier. So I grew up in the Manawatu in a little small town of Bunnythorpe. I grew up on a farm. Mm-hmm. Not many people know where Bunnythorpe is, but if you're from the mighty Manawatu, you sure will. Yep. And I grew up skiing at Mount Ruapehu, and that was probably my first sort of impressions of, of actually what tourism and tourism operations were and getting onto the ski fields. And then fell in love with the mountains, went off to university in Otago, and then did one of those student exchange programs that you do in Colorado, mm-hmm. and ended up in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. 
And that's probably where I got my first jobs in tourism, where I was working in cafeterias and driving shuttle buses and restaurants and ski tuning and all those sorts of great jobs that you do when you're a graduate student. And then came back to Eden, I was actually, I was coming back to see a girlfriend who I'm actually now married and is my wife. So (laughs) my story 30 years later. And so Deb was in her final year of law school at Otago and I needed a job just to sort of fill in a year while she was finishing off her degree. So I actually, I had a set of skis and two snowboards and I was broke. And so I needed some money. So I went into this sports store called r Sport and put the skis in their secondhand ski sale they had going on and asked them for a job. And they said, yeah, yeah, you can have a job tuning skis. And then that was great. I was sort of doing that, waiting for Deb to finish her law degree so we could go off and travel some more. Mm-hmm. And then the owner of the store at the time said, do you want to be the manager? And I thought, well, actually, that's probably a good idea. I'm like 22 years old and I need a tick on my CV. So manager sounds pretty cool. I'll do that. Yeah. And then, you know, sort of being young and foolish, I thought, well, we should expand this store. And so we decided that we'd buy another store in Auckland, which was called Sports Bazaar on K Road, across mm-hmm. from the mobile station there. And kind of the rest in that part of the story gets to is a sort of history that we then expanded to 10 stores and the warehouse group came along and said, would you consider selling your stores? And we said, Sure. And so Warehouse Group had already bought Torpedo 7, which is at the time was an online only store or mm. platform, and yep. they wanted some bricks and mortar. So by bringing together Torpedo 7's online store and then the RNR Sport bricks and mortar, they had this incredible omni-channel business immediately mm. overnight. So that was my sort of first 20 years, really. I guess I was in an outdoor sports retail, building the, the sort of RNR Sport chain of stores and then selling them on to Torpedo 7. And then after we sold the stores, it was like, well, what am I going to do now? I'm too young to retire. And this <laughs> incredible job came up at Cadrona working with Bridget. And I was like, wow, yeah, I so want to do that job. And at the time, Cadrona hadn't expanded into Soho, nor had we put in the Chondola, nor had we bought Triple Cone. And so that yep. was a really exciting time to join Cadrona as we're doing those projects. And mm. they were already sort of, the ideas were there. And I was like, yeah, I totally want to be part of that. So that was really cool. And my role there was head of sales and services. And so Kind of an interesting role that what it had, had is we, we looked after guest services, the sales team, the marketing team, the food and beverage team, the retail team, the rental team, the snow sports school and the apartments. And so wow. really diverse portfolio of products. Mm. And that gave me a really, well, that's where I met you, Michelle. No, it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we would go off and do those trade shows <laughs> in Australia and have a lot of fun. Yeah. And that gave you a really interesting insight to not just domestic New Zealand tourism, which of course ski is really strong in, like roughly about 60% pre-COVID was domestic and 30% Australian and 10% the rest of the world. So gave a really good insight to those the international markets of ski and equally all of the different components of what a tourism business has with the operational com- component and then you know the auxiliary spend that you're going to get out of the the retail the rental and food and beverage so that, that was a really good piece of that sort of education I'd say to where I was at in tourism and at the same time I got elected onto the board at Lake Wanaka Tourism mm-hmm. and ended up being the chairman of Lake Wanaka Tourism which is kind of ironic now being here at Destination Queenstown. <laughs> they gave me a, another piece of the puzzle, I'll call it, where I got to sort of learn a lot more around RTO world and how RTOs work. And at a fascinating time, because that's when COVID sort of hit and we were all presented with the step funding, which RTO world had never seen that kind of money mm. before. So that was a lot of responsibility and, and very interesting to get involved in. Yep. And then from there, I got this lucky chance to move into the GM of experience for Real NZ after we just rebranded. So overseeing the TSS units floor, the jet boating, the rafting, and the water taxis here in the Whakatipu, which was really cool. 
So that was great to get that experience as an operator. And then here I am now. That's fabulous. Yeah, what a career. And so I'm really interested. Did you end up doing some travel when you went to R&R Sports? Because it sounds like you just got into that side of the business. Did you get managed to get away? Yeah, look, I guess it's interesting when you consider the, the great Kiwi OE, I probably haven't gone and done that big two-year stint overseas. Yeah, I've had a sort of six-month stints overseas where we've gone skiing a lot. And then with r Sport, yeah, there's a lot of trade shows, actually. And we did a lot of travel. You'd usually be doing maybe five or six international trips a year with r Sport to a trade show. Mm-hmm. And actually, through the role at Cadrona, we did quite a lot of travel to China, particularly as well, as we were looking at, A, helping the Chinese market as I'm moving into the Beijing Olympics, and equally yep. taking an instructor course over there so we could help teach Chinese-speaking instructors to get to their level one cert for skiing, and then we could bring some of those instructors back to New Zealand. So that was really interesting to go to China, sort of pre-Beijing Olympics, and see, mm. you know, these ski fields just pop up. They <laughs> popped up out of everywhere, didn't they? <laughs> it was incredible. And I think there's something like 700 ski areas now in China, which you know, they, they really wanted to make a presence for that Olympics. They'd actually set a goal, hadn't they, to get so many of the young Chinese people into skiing at that point, I think. It was yeah, quite 300 a, million was the number, yeah, I think, yeah, it, which was, was quite yeah. phenomenal when you Something consider, that we can't even think about. Yeah, yeah. when you consider New Zealand's 1.5 million skier days and they're looking at 300 million, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I know. We had a few of the snowmakers from up north head over to China and, and do a couple of seasons there before COVID hit, obviously, and helping them upskill and that sort of thing. And it was just phenomenal seeing the landscape that they were creating these ski fields out of nothing really it was all man-made snow and yeah it was quite phenomenal the investment that went into it yeah so in, in going back to those trade shows I mean we're talking about Michelle like going to the snow industry trade shows that they used to have in Las Vegas were hilarious they were a lot of fun and of course we try and go to those because they were a lot of energy a lot of fun and you'd also get a jump on new competitors here in New Zealand because we'd actually understand the product we're about to land in New Zealand what was selling and what wasn't so you'd actually mm-hmm. get a really good insight Plus, we'd definitely go skiing and have a lot of fun. And then we'd go to the European summer trade shows, which are often in Germany. So that would give us a good opportunity to go out hiking to the Alps and do some climbing and things like that. Yeah, nice. So what are you most excited about in your new role at DQ? Yeah, look, very much around the destination management plan. We're just about to put that out for public consultation. We're expecting tomorrow afternoon, actually, Mm -hmm. which is Friday the 22nd. So that piece of work has been something I've been working on for the last two years with Destination Queenstown and with my previous role at Lake Wanaka Tourism and where that space is moving into that regenerative tourism is the piece that's got me excited and wanting to come and jump into this role and yeah, really implement that. Mm, awesome. Now, Time Magazine has just named Queenstown as one of the world's greatest places, and the resort's going to feature in the next double issue of Time as the only New Zealand location on this year's list of 50 extraordinary travel destinations around the world. So coming into this role as Chief Executive of the RTO, are you feeling any pressure when you're thinking about how to market and probably more importantly, how to manage the destination? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely pressure, and particularly in how to manage it. And and coming out of the last two years of having no international visitors and Mm. about to move back into that area with international visitors, there's a lot of, this is where the DMPs come from, is we've listened to that community, heard what they've had to say, and what they want from tourism, where they want to go. I think the other piece there, Michelle, is, as you mentioned, it's the only New Zealand location in Mm. the report of of 50 locations around the world. And that equally puts a bit of pressure on Queenstown too, because Queenstown 
we can all be proud of it as New Zealand. And mm. if you're coming to Queenstown, you will go to other parts of New Zealand. And I think Queenstown gets that. Like yeah. It's not just about coming to Queenstown. And you think about that regional dispersal model we saw from TNZ pre-COVID, and we were promoting areas that maybe weren't the ones that were on Time magazine. And people were like, where is that? What is that? Mm. And I think actually what we can do is use Queenstown as come to New Zealand. This is Queenstown. And whilst you're in New Zealand, go and see these other places as well after you've been to Queenstown or on your way to Queenstown. But I don't think we forget that actually it is going to be a draw card. And that's why people want to come to New Zealand. But there's other great places to go as well. Yeah, absolutely. And we saw that with some of the Australian marketing that went on as their borders started to reopen. And they talked about Australia being big and they they focused on their icons in terms of Uluru and Sydney Harbour and those iconic destinations that sometimes feel the pressure of tourism numbers, but they are the icons. That's what draws people there. And I guess Queenstown's in exactly the same boat for New Zealand. So what are you bringing to the role that may be a little bit different? Yeah, I think what I bring to the role, which is a little different, and that goes back to sort of my career history and where I've come from. So I've spent a lot of time in business. Mm -hmm. And if you think about R&R Sport, what didn't actually explain what that is. It is an outdoor sports store that sells biking, camping, skiing, and water sports gear. And so I've got that side of things on what we actually use that gear for and where did we use it. And then Mm. that business side of things. So I've come from a very business acumen, a lot of marketing background there and a lot of sales background and also managing multi stores in different locations with a lot of staff. And so that's something that I'm very familiar with. So I think if you look at that career path that I've come from, it's probably not that traditional path that you'd normally see in tourism. So I'm bringing quite a different commercial element to it. Mm. And I'm thinking along the lines of through COVID, we've seen a lot of publicity come out of Queenstown. And if we're talking very honestly, not all of it was positive. There was some commentary around pricing at one point. There's some commentary around the restrictions of COVID and what that meant for the business community down there. And there was some commentary that came out to say, oh, we're going to be closed by Friday, which had the tourism industry scrambling saying, no, we're not. We're absolutely open. So how do you pull a community onto the same page in terms of getting that messaging out that's consistent and the same messaging yeah look and I think this is where the destination management plan is going to be really interesting and so during the time that we've been working on that we've had a lot of community workshops and actually going to different parts of the community and I think if you talk about the destination management plan down here we refer to it as the Southern Lakes destination management plan right so it's been a, a real collaborative approach between destination Queenstown Lake Wanaka Tourism, QLDC, so Queenstown Lake District Council, Tahu, and Department of Conservation. So we've got quite a lot of different people working on that. And I think it's really easy to get hung up first and foremost and go, well, that's Queenstown and Wanaka. But if, if you think about that region, we're actually talking all the way from McElroy to Glenorchy to Kingston. And there's mm-hmm. some really fun little areas inside the, the Southern Lakes. And so it's about bringing that whole community on the journey. So it's really easy to talk about Queenstown. And actually, Glenorchy is very different to Queenstown. Like Lake Hayes is very different as well. Mm -hmm. And Arrowtown is different. And I'm going to get in trouble for not naming everybody here. (laughs) (laughs) But I think understanding those nuances of each of the different parts of the region and what each part of the region has to offer, which is so different. And then we happen to have these two townships inside the the region, one being Queenstown and one being Wanaka. And so what we've heard from what they want to see from visitors, and they want visitors that want to come here and learn about the place and from the people. And that's not a surprise. We're hearing that globally. So that's 
that's kind of the norm. You mentioned about sort of businesses being closed, and that really does get into that big question at the moment around the labour force. And where has the labour force gone? <laughs> you know, um, I'd love to know. <laughs> it's, it's like it's vanished globally because it, yeah, it's it not has. just here yeah. in Queenstown. And it's exactly, it's Queenstown. everywhere around the world. Yeah. Yeah, and so I think. I mean, Queenstown was definitely not closed, but it has had its constraints with workforce like everywhere else has. And then in the last couple of weeks with the New Zealand School Holidays and Australian School Holidays, we've definitely really felt the pinch, not just mm. from being short staff, but then you put on top of that illness and everything else that's been going on in winter. So if you're already short staffed and then you put illness in that, we're incredibly short staffed. But yeah. what's managed to come out of that is businesses have really been able to go, this is what we can deliver. And this is what we're going to offer. And I think that's really important. And so that if you get those expectations right at the start, then you're not going to disappoint people. And so a good example of that can be actually just looking at a hotel that actually is only operating at 75% of its room capacity. So mm. they are now 100% full of yep. the 75%. But yep. that 75% that are full are getting an incredibly great experience. And I think you've just got to be realistic and go, we can't deliver as much or all of the things we used to. Let's just make sure what we are delivering is exceptional and you know what we are hearing at the moment from the business owners and definitely from our visitors alike is actually what we are delivering is fantastic and the service they're getting is good the team's tired there's no doubt about it mm. but you always are after the school holidays yeah yeah it's exactly even at, even at full staff levels you are as well and it's funny you mentioned that I did an episode two weeks ago on exactly that piece to say just be clear about what you are offering and don't try and be everything to everyone because it, it, you will come unstuck and it will lead to disappointment of your guests. So when you're talking about destination management and bringing all of those different parts of the community together, there's been a lot of talk around this, but at the moment we haven't seen much action. And I understand that a lot of the destination management plans are still out for consultation, but what changes do you think we will see as a result of these destination management plans being put in place? Yeah, look, I think you're right. We, a lot of them are out for consultation. The next piece will be they'll get signed off by their respective RTOs and councils. And then the next piece to this puzzle is actually going to be the funding. Mm. And so more importantly, is it's not just what's going to be the change and what's going to happen, but are we actually able to implement them? And that's going to be the big challenge that we've got at the moment. And that's where we're going back going, well, it's great that we've created this plan. But how do we actually put it into to place? Mm. How do we actually deliver this? And if you look at a lot of the RTOs, we're not actually mandated to be destination management officers. Yeah, that's we're right. Actually, yeah, we're more marketing. around marketing and trade. And so yeah. that's constitutionally quite an interesting question in itself. And then these projects don't come free. <laughs> you know, so it's how do they get funded? So the step funding has been useful to set up the plan. But I actually think the big question is how do we implement it and how do we fund that implementation? Yeah. And some of that, I think, is going to need leadership from a national level as well to help with the regional decisions. Because I don't know if you saw Brooke Saban's piece and stuff earlier this week about the 100% fail of, of the re tourism reset. And I can't help but agree because we have talked about bottlenecks at Milford Sound on the Tongariro Crossing and other places like that. Whereas, and that's not a regional decision. If we're talking about the conservation estate as an example, and that's something that affects your region as well as my region, where, where are those decisions sitting and who's talking about that? Because our tourism ministers both came out firing, saying it will look different, our industry, we don't want it to be the same, but 
I don't see any change coming out at a national level to say this is how we're going to help the smaller regions who have that influx of tourism. Yeah, and look, I thought Brooke's article was really interesting because it actually evokes that conversation. Mm. And particularly, he said, what is different? So he said we've failed, which I don't think we have failed yet. We still have the opportunity. The destination plan management plans are getting finalised now and getting written up. Yeah. If we cannot implement them, that's when we've failed. And so mm. I think we will need funding to implement these plans. And, yeah. uh, you know, Brooke's right on it there. It's like, how will we fund these plans to actually implement them? There were some interesting comments he, he did make around actually visitor levies and fees mm-hmm. into parks as a way of going around that. You know, some of that's very controversial and maybe some destination management plans do actually have that in there. So that'll be interesting. But I mean, there is mm-hmm. ways of funding this. No yeah. doubt about it. And I think that's what Brooke was really sort of provoking that question of like, what are we doing differently? It's all very well. You've been sitting there making the plans, but actually let's see them come to fruition now. Yeah, that's right. And when you're looking at Queenstown, Ruapehu regions, they're too small to fund some of this stuff. I mean, even the bigger regions, if we're talking Auckland, they probably don't have the funding inside their RTO either. So, um, yeah, I think funding is an issue that is going to have to be addressed at some point. So changing the subject a little bit, you've got a big group of operators touring the US at the moment, and I have serious FOMO looking at all of their travel photos, (laughs) and I know they're all working hard as well, but have they fed any intel back to you about what to expect over the next 12 months yet? Like what's the feedback been, the excitement levels, all of that? Yeah, look, that's a really good question, Michelle. And so Karan's over there at the moment with 12 operators from Queenstown, and they've been going down the corridor from where we're going to see the new New Zealand route from New York through to Dallas. And so they've been sort of following it down. And actually, they've been traveling by train, which is quite an interesting way to get through America. And one of the reasons they decided to travel by train was they wouldn't be spending time in airports and yep. losing time at airports. And so a very efficient way to get down that sort of east coast of America. It is, and what yeah. they are finding... There is really strong demand from New Zealand and strong demand that we'll see this summer. But what they're hearing equally is that the people that are coming are staying longer, Uh which is pretty cool as well. So I think that starts to move into that destination management plan that we're not just seeing people come and sort of fly by night. They're actually coming to New Zealand to stay and learn and understand a bit more about our people in our place. Mm. Yeah, we're hearing that quite a lot. And I'm hoping that's not just a short term post COVID trend that we see that people have been locked up for two years and haven't been able to travel. So now they're making a larger holiday out of it. So I hope hope those longer stays will continue as we, we go on. What do you think the biggest challenges are for Queenstown looking ahead to the next few years? I mean, right now, our biggest challenge is this workforce. And, and that's not going to be a quick fix. That's going to take us a bit of time to resolve and building that back up. We've also got an awful lot of shovel-ready projects that aren't finished at the moment. So I don't right. know if you've been to Queenstown lately. <laughs> no, the, I haven't, actually. <laughs> the CBD, it's not pretty. We've definitely got streets that have been dug up at the moment. And it's that's really impacting, we'll just call it flows of transportation right now, and people getting into shops and being able to move around. So that was an easy fix, though. That's that's happening. I mean, there's no yep. there's no good time to actually dig up your roads. Yeah, same's happening here in Taipei. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's around the country, isn't it? And yeah, so I think our big challenge is the workforce at the moment. And actually, how will we implement this DMP? Those are our two big challenges ahead of us. 
yeah yeah cool awesome yeah my last visit to Queenstown was August last year so I was actually I'd had one day on the slopes before we went into the big lockdown so I mean, had to make an escape out of there so yeah hopefully that was a, that was a very I'll tough day soon. wasn't it the best oh the best snow in, in 40 years <laughs> we were in lockdown <laughs> I know I know because the day we arrived it was actually snowing so we had to put chains on to get up the mountain and I mean I'd never seen snow like it it was dry fluffy beautiful powder and then everybody that we met was like you have timed your holiday perfectly these are the best conditions tomorrow's bluebird and then that night we went into lockdown (laughs) so anyway yes We'll get down there again soon anyway. Well, Matt, look, thanks for joining us. That ends all of my questions for today, but it's been great having a chat and just hearing your plans for Queenstown. Great to have you in the role down there and we wish you all the best and hopefully the winter goes well and obviously you've got a big summer coming up ahead as well. Yeah, thanks, Michelle. It's great to see and hear from you again and look, we we look forward to welcoming all your listeners to Queenstown and come and enjoy what we've got to offer. Absolutely. I'll put them in touch with you. (laughs) Kakite. <laughs> <laughs>